Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode four. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. I apologize for the lateness of this episode, but I had a few technical and personal issues to deal with this past week, and it was only recently that I was able to get it all sorted out. I hope the weather treated you well this past Memorial Day weekend, and that you were able to enjoy some time outside. Today, we're continuing with Chapter 3 of Outcast. As always, I'll be cross-posting this to the original Outcast podcast feed, and if you're listening to this on that, I welcome you to subscribe to this show at feeds.feedburner.com slash kickinthecast. And so, without further ado, here's Chapter 3 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 3 Is it possible to fight for something, even if you know that the object is either false or unattainable? Can you honestly put your heart into a task knowing that in the end, it's nothing more than a futile gesture recognized by only yourself? Can one's sense of duty override common sense? Maybe that's why when soldiers went into battle, it was on a need-to-know basis. Their goals are minor compared to the big picture, but it's enough to keep them going. It's enough to drive them to give their all to the task at hand and damn the consequences. All they must worry about is their immediate goal, be it taking a hill, blowing up a bunker, or rescuing a prisoner from the enemy. So long as they believe their actions are worth it, they'll sacrifice everything in the name of completing their mission. For that first week in rehabilitation, I was like a soldier. Every day my goal was the same. Do better than the day before. Thoughts of home, of returning to my former life as a clansman, even thoughts of my friends were all sent into the background of my mind. All I could think of All I wanted to think of was going that extra step or moving just that much more than I had the day before. By the end of that first week, I'd gone from a quadriplegic to someone capable of movement, but too weak to do anything. The implants had finally calibrated themselves to my body, but my movement was still jerky at best. It was as if I had to concentrate to will my limbs to move. They would respond after a time, but when they did, it was with a burst of movement so pathetic looking. I honestly wondered if I'd been better off as a Class 2 cyborg rather than a Class 1. It was frustrating, but everyone around me seemed to think I was improving. The head therapist, a burly white tigress named Dr. Twellen, constantly commented on my progress. She was also always there to pick me up when I fell, both physically and mentally. She wasn't the only one who was cheering for me, though. Day after day, one or more of my family members visited and added their voices to hers. It felt good to see them all again and hear about what they'd been up to for the past year. As Mother said, they'd all been worried about me, but I felt relieved to hear that they'd all managed to get on with their lives despite my situation. While I was more than grateful to those who did visit me, I also noted a couple of exceptions, particularly my father and my youngest sister. When I asked about Jenna, Mother would say Tila was taking care of her, or vice versa if Tila was visiting. I didn't think about it at the time. I mean, 
it must have been insane at home, taking care of the day-to-day things and preparing for my homecoming. With father, though, there seemed to be no real excuse. Well, not to me, anyway. Everyone always said that he was occupied with other things or busy with clan affairs. But if there were so many clan-related things to take care of, then why wasn't grandfather handling it? Wasn't he the elder? Well, it didn't take long for me to stop worrying about father's absence, or anything else involving the clans for that matter. Before I knew it, I had far more pressing matters to deal with. Come on, Dallin. You can do it. That's it. Just one more step. You've got this. I hit the mat with a thump and rolled over onto my back, panting heavily. I slowly covered my muzzle with my hands and forced myself to breathe normally once more. Sweat soaked my palms and feet, but I didn't care at that point. I'd kept true to my goal and had made that little bit more progress than I had the day before. It was part way through the second week of my rehabilitation, and by then I'd regained enough of my mobility that the therapy changed from simple movement while lying down to actual walking. After a year's worth of inactivity, walking seemed akin to merely dragging along two logs strapped to my waist. On top of that, my arms weren't exactly at 100% either, so while I was trying to command my legs to move, I was also trying to brace myself with a pair of unstable, virtually useless arms. Still, I was determined not to give up. So despite how excruciating each day was, I told myself that in the end, it would all be worth it. After this ordeal, Dr. Twellen and my sister Tila helped me back into my hover chair, and I plopped down in it, exhausted. Tila handed me a drink, and the doctor patted me on the shoulder. Nice workout today, Dallin, she said. Keep this up, and you'll be out of here in no time. I just settled for being able to use the restroom by myself, I said meekly, my ears growing warm from embarrassment. Maybe it was just pride but not even being able to feed and relieve myself only served to deepen my humiliation at all that was going on. Things I once took for granted were now gone from me, and despite everyone's optimism and encouragement, the thought of moving around unassisted still seemed a lofty dream I'd never attain. Tila took one of my hands and squeezed it with hers. You did better today than Alex said you did yesterday, she said. I managed a weak smile and tried to squeeze her hand in return. As usual, my hand didn't react for a full three seconds after my mind willed it to, and did so with humiliating clumsiness. If she noticed, she never said anything. I can't wait till you get home, she said. And I know someone else is waiting for you, too. At that statement, my ears perked up. At first, I thought she meant Jenna, but the knowing look she gave me told me someone else had been wondering about my recovery. Someone I'd hopefully soon call my wife. Arranged marriages aren't nearly as common in the clans as they used to be. For the first few centuries after the ascensions, many clans started intermingling to help keep their gene pools from degrading from all that internal breeding during the age of the warlords. Prearranged marriages both sealed clan alliances, but also historically helped keep the lineages as consistent as possible. Whatever the reason, my clan and the Winter Stalker clan had decided on such an arrangement. The Winter Stalker clan is one of two known Najari clans in the Kerala Valley area. The Najari are assassins, contract killers for hire by any in the clans so long as their requests fall within the rules of doctrine. 
I believe the Terrans had a similar institution in their ancient times. The ninja. I'd known Shiana Nache all my life, it seemed. As far back as I can remember, she'd been there with me. Even as we both grew and gained other friends, we always found time for each other. It wasn't until much later that we learned of our eventual marriage, and even when we did, it didn't change things between us that much. If anything, we ended up looking forward to it. All this time, though, I'd barely thought about her. I was too focused on my recovery that our upcoming wedding was the last thing on my mind. However, now that Tila had mentioned it, the thought of seeing Shiana in her ceremonial wedding gown began dominating my thoughts. I was about to say something when Dr. Twalen stepped up. All I could do was wince. I knew what was coming, and as much as I didn't want it to, there was no way I could stop it. Tila knew as well, and with her help my shirt came off and she led me to a massage table. There, they placed me face down on it, my muzzle slipping through the face ring at the head. Now, some of you might think getting a massage from a female would be an adolescent male's dream come true. And maybe it would have been for me too if my body was merely suffering a bit of tension and not still trying to learn how to move again. See, the implants, while busy calibrating with my muscles, were also running signals through my nervous system at close to ten times the normal rate. The result? Well, needless to say, every square millimeter of my body was a wee bit more sensitive than most, and what Dr. Twellen was about to put me through made me wonder if those health clubs everyone talks about aren't just some kind of torture chamber, only slightly modernized from the warlord's days. The moment Dr. Twellen touched me, I gasped. Oh, relax, she said, and started in on my shoulders. Her touch was like fire, and it took several moments before my muscles stopped resisting her and submitted to her touch. I kept my eyes shut tightly, silently counting the seconds before this ordeal would end and I could just go lay down. I tried to focus my mind on anything but the present. From summers at the estate's lake to the coldest winter's night, I tried anything just to keep my mind off the eternal burning sensation coursing through my body from Dr. Twellen's hands. Like with any painful situation, I tried holding my breath, and while it helped a little, it wasn't enough. I started begging her to stop, but she ignored me, assuring me I'd thank her in the end. I could feel myself beginning to shake. My fists clenched and unclenched, each of them still taking their sweet-ass time to do so after my mind willed it. This reluctance, this agonizing slowness, this robot-like existence was growing too much to bear. And this mistress of torture above me was burning me with her very touch. Why couldn't it all just stop? Stop! Stop! I roared at the top of my lungs and my arms shot forward, gripping the massage table and squeezing. I was in so much agony I never noticed my fingers dominating the metal tubing onto which I'd grabbed. I heard the metal creak as it deformed, and only then did I try to pull them away. Unfortunately, the implants hadn't received any kind of command to release my grip on the table, and in that one moment, my life took a decidedly interesting turn. The table gave way as my arms began pulling on their own. The fabric and foam top ripped easily enough, and the metal underside stretched and then yielded. 
The sound of the metal tearing was deafening, and by the time I'd stopped pulling, the massage table was torn nearly in half. I was staring at the floor now, only held up by my hands, which had finally obeyed my mind and released their grip. I forgot the burning sensation of my body in that one moment, and in its place, I felt the cold grip of fear welled up inside me. What had I done? How had I done that? I could feel the panic begin to rise, but I forced it back down. I didn't want to do anything that would cause my muscles to react like that again. The thought of potentially hurting someone, hurting Tila, forced my mind to keep my body still. So long as I didn't try to move, everyone here would be safe. I heard someone enter the room and the accompanying gasp. It sounded like Dr. Sheck. Sure enough, the moment he stepped close enough that I could scent him, I recognized him. Well, he said, I can't say I've ever seen someone so desperate to avoid a massage that they tried to go through the table. What happened? I asked. How did I do this? I don't know yet, the doctor said. We'll run some tests and find out, Dallin, I promise. Now, just stay calm. Your sister and Dr. Twellen are going to help you back to your chair, all right? I nodded and only winced a little when they lifted me from the ruined table and back into the hover chair. I looked over at the table as my sister pushed me out of the room, and for a moment, I began to wonder, if I could do that to a table, what could I do to those four Paklas who attacked me that night? Well, said Dr. Sheck, it seems there's been an unforeseen side effect of the implants. What's that? asked Mother. After the incident, both she and Richard came to the hospital to keep Tila company while I underwent more tests. On a human, said Sheck, the implants are designed to mimic muscle tissue. Normally, the patients notice a slight increase in strength, but it's negligible. However, given the difference in Bengalan gravity and our kind's increased muscle density compared to that of a human, that strength increase is slightly amplified. Slightly? I said. Doctor, I tore that table in half, and I couldn't control myself when I did. I could feel my anger rising. What have you done to me? I could see Dr. Sheck tense for a moment, but it quickly passed. This wasn't the first time he'd dealt with a patient's outburst. I told you this was a new treatment, Dallin, he said. We're all in unfamiliar territory here, and like with any kind of treatment, there's always some, well, unexpected developments. Unexpected developments? Is that what this is? I raised my hand three seconds after wanting to. You call this up? The doctor kept his gaze, and I let my arm drop back down. I started mentally kicking myself for speaking the way I did. He had spared me from a life with bulky and questionably reliable prosthetics. Moreover, it had only been a couple of weeks since these implants had activated. I knew I was being impatient. Who wouldn't be? But more than that, the thought of not being the tiger I used to be was terrifying. I mean, that wasn't much to ask for, was it? To have my life back the way it was? I'm sorry, I said. I had no right to yell. I just... I don't know what to do. 
I'm not sure either, Dallin, he said. But if you're willing to trust me, I promise you I'll do all I can to make sure you get better. You will walk again. That I promise. The look in his eyes said it all. He believed with all his heart that he could do it. All I had to do was give him a chance and trust him with my life. I looked at my family who were there, and they all nodded in agreement. I then looked back at Dr. Sheck. All right, I said. What do you need me to do? There were more unexpected developments because of the implants. With the increased strength came the potential for too much exertion on the body. With both my arms and legs so augmented, I could run longer and faster than some of the cheetahs I knew. However, it was the equivalent of strapping a fusion thruster onto the back of a hover cycle. The rest of my body was now too weak to support the added power my implants were capable of. Once I was able to move properly, a dead sprint at top speed could induce a severe hypoxia episode, suffocating me. The solution was another surgery to supplement my cardiovascular and respiratory systems with more implants. Unlike the groundbreaking surgery Dr. Sheck had performed on me a year ago, this procedure was as commonplace as keeping one's claws correctly trimmed. In an age where the pursuit of vice was an interstellar pastime, the toll of such excesses on the body was heavy. Decadent foods from distant worlds, exotic tobaccos, and other such narcotics played havoc with the Bengalan body. Organ adjustments and or replacements to prevent people from paying the ultimate price for their indulgences was a booming and commonplace business in the medical community. It only took a day for me to recover from the surgery, but the result wasn't much different than before. I could still barely walk or move my arms, and when I did, it was the same jerky motion that it had always been. Dr. Sheck calculated that with the augments, my endurance would increase fivefold. However, I was in no position to evaluate the claim just yet. In truth, I was beginning to doubt I ever would be. By the end of the week, I was exhausted and, once again, completely discouraged. It felt as though I'd done nothing to improve my condition, save continuously prove that my body was never going to heal. My nerves still burned, and while Dr. Twellen still insisted on the massages, she backed off when I needed her to. I guess she didn't want any more massage tables turned into scrap. That night, no one from my family stayed around. I didn't mind that much. I mean, hey, they all had their lives too, and since I was out of any immediate danger, they didn't have to worry about me as much. That, and I didn't feel much like talking to anyone. I leaned back in my bed and closed my eyes. I'd never felt lower than I had right then and there. I tried to clench my fist and wasn't surprised when my body reacted only after several moments. I began to wonder if that was the key to being able to move now, to try and adopt a new rhythm in my head. I couldn't help but chuckle dryly at this. If that were the case, then martial arts training would certainly be out for me. When survival depends on the body and mind working in perfect harmony, any delay between mental order and physical response could spell disaster. I continued to clench and unclench my fist, counting with dread each second between command and compliance. It felt so surreal watching my hand move like that. 
I remembered stories in classes about early prosthetic limbs and how people had to use their stomach muscles to get them to move. It was barbaric, sure, but with enough training, one could eventually master it and make his or her new limb an asset rather than a liability. Clench. Open. Clench. Open. It seemed simple enough, though it was still uncomfortable. I wondered if this was one more of Dr. Sheck's unexpected developments that he hadn't foreseen because I really couldn't imagine any human being able to function like this, always having to wait while his or her body processed each mental command with all the efficiency of a government institution. After a few more minutes of working with my hands, I finally let them relax and breathed out. I was dead tired, and I didn't want to think about anything more that night. I just wanted to sleep and try to have at least some energy for the next day's round of torture. It didn't take long before I was fast asleep, dreaming of nothing. And that was when I noticed him. I don't know how long I'd been asleep, nor did I know how long he'd been there, but my whiskers tingled madly in his presence. I opened my eyes to find the room completely dark. At first, I wondered if I'd gone blind but in the darkness I could make out the ghostly white of the sheets that covered my body. I turned my head from side to side, trying to figure out where this new presence was, but I saw nothing. I breathed in a little deeper, trying to scent this intruder and from that interpret his or her intentions. I felt relieved at the lack of aggression in both the scent and the electricity in the air. The intruder had strength, yes. But instead of aggression, this presence regarded me with bemused curiosity, as though I were a freak on display. The scent was unfamiliar to me as well, though I could sense it was a tiger. Far older than me, and perhaps even older than father. Whoever he was, though, he was no clansman. Who are you? I asked, trying to sound brave. The intruder didn't answer at first. I could feel myself beginning to panic. Even though I'd torn a table apart just recently, that damn three-second delay would do me no good if this Pakla was here to finish me off. For all I knew, he was one of the thieves who'd left me for dead a year ago mere meters from the main road. You pound on the door with your right hand, a voice finally said. It sounded hollow, dead inside. Yet, in that ancient voice, I found... A sense of comfort. Yet you hold the key in your left. What do you mean? I asked. You know the answer to your riddle, said the voice. Yet you deny yourself that which you need to see it. And what do I need? My whiskers flattened against my muzzle as I sensed the intruder's presence pressing closer. I still couldn't see him. I could only sense him leaning in closer to me. He offered only one word, but it was all he needed to say. Time. And then he was gone. I thought about what he said. Time? What did time have to do with me? Dr. Sheck said the implants would need more time to adjust, but even he was growing increasingly skeptical each day. Time. I closed my eyes again, but I didn't fall asleep. My head was still reeling from the visit. The intruder, for all his mystery, was trying to help, 
But why did he have to be so damned cryptic? What door was he talking about? What key? It didn't make sense. Time. I began running through my fist-clenching exercise routines again. The delay was growing frustrating, and I growled weakly. I wanted to shout at the top of my lungs, forcing by mere conscious will for my body to obey me as it had once before. Yet for all my mental screaming, it simply felt as though I was yelling at... at... a door? My eyes shot open. The revelation hit me like one of Father's gut shots during sparring. The door. The pounding. It was my mind relentlessly trying to bully the implants into working. But what was this key, this other choice? How did the answer to this lie within me? You know the answer to your riddle. Time. I started to think of the quieter times at home when we would all gather for worship or sit quietly in the war hall during our training sessions. During those sessions, Father always taught us that our body's energy was like a river. It had a flow that was natural and that was very resistant to immediate change. Like a river, you cannot force your body's energy to shift by mere brute force. You had to learn and understand your body's natural flow and how to persuade it gently to do as you wish. This was the key to a martial artist. Sure, a master could strike a cinder block and render it to powder, but not until they fully controlled the energy within. Time. It wasn't so much time, but patience. Like Father said, I needed to understand my body's energy. The implants were still learning, and I'd wager my constant blasting of those implants with the demand to move now was doing no good. It was like yelling at a kitten to walk when it barely knew how to crawl. I drew a deep breath and cleared my mind. I forced myself to remain calm and concentrated not on my hand, but one finger. In an almost meditative state, I sent the command to wiggle my little finger. It wasn't much of a movement, but the important part was the time delay. Less than three seconds. I smiled. It was a start and I knew now that there was a way to progress. It would take time, and it would be slow to begin. I accepted that because, despite that, I'd found the key that would eventually bring me back to the tiger I once was. This soldier would not only take one more step than normal tomorrow, this soldier would take one step faster. And there's our story for this week. It looks like Dallin is starting to learn the values of patience, especially when it comes to his rehabilitation. A couple of years ago, I was stuck in the hospital for two months thanks to my own unforeseen developments. I went in for a minor surgery and wound up with an infection inside that was pretty nasty, and it took the infectious diseases people a while to find out just what solution would work for me. It turns out that I was allergic to their normal protocol, so they had to get creative. During that time, though, it really opened up my eyes to just how challenging the medical field is. A lot of problems can't be fixed in an hour like you see on TV. And some, 
Well, they can't be fixed at all. During my stay, I had a fair number of roommates. And while they all left before me, I know of at least one who wasn't home for long before... Yeah. I don't want to get too melancholy on this show if I can help it, but suffice it to say, I have the deepest respect for anyone who goes through the necessary education to become a doctor or nurse. If you're stuck in the hospital for whatever reason, be kind. You're one of many patients they have to deal with daily, so why not be a haven of comfort instead of a jerk? They'll be more grateful for it than you may think. So that's going to wrap it up here for today. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show at feeds.feedburner.com slash kickinthecast so you won't miss a single episode. For feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or you can leave a message via SpeakPipe at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.